Graduation 2017. <laughs> Golf. You know, <clears throat> I've heard so many people say it's the most boring game they could ever imagine. I mean, how tough can it be to hit a little ball down a pasture? Well, for those of you that have never tried it, I challenge you to try it. Matter of fact, I brought you a golf club and a golf ball, and I'm not going to let you try it. <laughs> but interesting thing about golf is you never, ever, ever will be perfect at it. Never. I don't care how good you think you are, how good you see the pros on television are, they always make mistakes, and eventually every single one of them hits into a sand trap. And if you play golf long enough and you're on a course that has sand traps, you'll hit into a sand trap. And you'll take out your sandwich, and you're going to go in there and try not to do what that guy just did. Now, if you've been in the sand trap many times in your life, you'll know it often takes more than one try to get out. Sometimes three, four, five. But if you take the time, it's like everything else in life. We can learn things about the things that we do, whether it's in your workplace, in your family situations, or out just goofing around or playing golf. You can learn some things about life in golf. One of the things that I've learned about uh, in, in golf is, boy, is it easy to reveal your temper, anger, and rage. I remember when I was in high school, uh, throwing clubs just like that guy did. I remember one time it was on the first hole at the Tyler, Tyler Golf Course and we were putting. And I know for those of you that know the way I golf, I actually missed a short putt. And, and if you know me at all, I'm a chronic yips. That's what they call it when you can't make a putt this long. And I threw my putter. And I was playing with my brother and my dad. And the putter landed you know, off the green halfway to the next tee box. The only problem was the head of the putter broke off and the shaft was laying over there and the putter head was over there. And they wouldn't let me use their putter the rest of the round. Dad figured I needed to learn a lesson. And I did. Throw it more carefully. <laughs> but I'm going to use the, the, the picture, the metaphor of golf and a sand trap to share some things that I think are really important for all of us, not just the graduates but for all of us. How, how many of you have ever been in a sand trap in, on a golf course? Okay, so I'm talking to a lot of you that haven't yet. How many of you have, have, you have never seen a golfer on TV go into the sand trap? Never seen it? Okay, most of you have. Some of you haven't. You know, one of the things that you do when you hit in the, get in the sand trap is you take out your sand wedge or some other club, and they do this little thing. They get in the sand, and you can't touch the sand with your club. That's a penalty. So you're holding it there, but then you get in there, and they all start doing this. And what they're doing, not just, you know, not doing the twist, but you're, you're digging in your feet so you get a firm foundation. So when you swing, your feet don't slide out from under you and you, you lose your balance and everything goes wrong. Getting that firm foundation. And if you don't have a firm foundation, the odds of you succeeding with that shot aren't very good. If you slip, the ball may go anywhere. You may never get out of the trap, kind of like that poor guy. But the scripture tells us that life can be a lot like that. That we, we get into traps in life. And I want us to think of those sand traps in life as the traps or snares that the enemy sets for us. In Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 14, scripture you're mostly, most of you will be familiar with, it says this, 
Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God that so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities, against powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, that so when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then. And further on in verse 17, it says to take the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. For us as Christians... That foundation in our life needs to be the Word of God. We need to establish a firm foundation. I know you get tired of preachers like me telling you you need to know the Word, you need to read the Word, you need to study the Word, but the reality is you need to know the Word, you need to read the Word, you need to study the Word. You will have no foundation. The world's foundation, the world's points of view is so fluid. It changes continually. I mean, in every aspect of our culture, man, what's cool today is going to be silly tomorrow. Shoot, I can dress in my suits that I had in college, you know, my my peach-colored leisure suit. I know it's coming back in style. It's just a matter of time. Yeah, I had one of those. And I had a powder blue one. But the world changes. The Word of God doesn't. And we need a firm foundation. Because if we don't have a firm foundation, when temptation comes, and it will come, when temptations come, when the snares of the enemy are there, we are going to succumb. We won't have a firm foundation. We can be deceived or it won't be firmly established in our hearts. We, we don't know what to believe. We won't know who to put our trust in. And when these things come, we slip and we fall. And when we slip and fall, there are consequences always. Always consequences. And one of the consequences that can be so damaging is when we slip and fall and we fall into the snares and the traps of the enemy, we give in to temptation, is our relationship with the Lord becomes strained. We feel like it's become distant. And it has because we're moving away from him. He's not. He's actually following us, waiting for us to turn around. But we need to have that firm foundation, something to stand on that we know will never, ever change. We need to have the courage. We need to have the strength. We need to have the confidence to stand against peer pressure, against the snares of the enemy, temptations of the world. We need to have that kind of strength, confidence, and courage. And it cannot come from anywhere except the Word of God because everything else will eventually fail us. But the Word of God will never fail us. The Word of God is always true. That needs to absolutely be the foundation in our lives whether we're just graduating from high school or whether they're as old as I am. The Word of God needs to be our firm foundation. We will not be able to avoid the traps. We are going to get in those traps. But it's what happens when we're in the traps, when we're in the snares, when we're facing those trials and those troubles. We need to continually put on the armor of God and especially take up the Word of God, the Word of God. We hear it so often, I know we, we just almost turn our ears off. But, but, but trust me, trust the Bible. The Word of God needs to be in our hearts. It needs to be in our minds. It needs to be the constant, the foundation of our life and our walk every day. First thing you can learn from being in a sand trap on a golf course is that you need a good foundation. Now, if you've ever been in a golf course and you've ever put it in the sand trap, you know sometimes you don't get a perfect lie. 
Sometimes that thing's buried. It looks like an egg with the ball being the egg yolk. It doesn't matter. But no matter what, to get that ball out of the sand trap, I've got to get down under the ball somehow. We've got to get under it. We have to step under it. We need to get under it or it won't go up in the air. If we we lift up a little bit, we're going to hit it on top of the ball and it's not going to go anywhere. And if you hit too much sand, sand's going to go flying and the ball's not going to hardly move. We need, but we need to get underneath the ball. Get under the ball. If you ever watched on TV, and if you've never done it, every time they take a shot out of the sand, you're going to see a little puff of sand go flying up into the air. But to hit the ball any distance with any consistency, you need to put that club on the ball. So we need to stand up to it. In life, it's the same way. We need to stand up to the, to the temptations of the enemy and of the world, and of our peers. It's amazing the temptations that come and the source of all those temptations, where they come from. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and this should encourage us, give us confidence and strength. It says, no temptation has seized you except that what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can endure. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. We can stand up under it. As I said earlier, in golf, there is no golfer good enough that they're always going to avoid the trap. And in life, there is nobody who's living a life so righteous that you're not going to find yourself in a trap. We are all going to be tested, tempted, and the snares of the enemy are being set for us continually, trying to seduce us trying to get us to make those kinds of choices that cause us to, to suffer and experience consequences that begin to hinder our relationship with the Lord. So we need to be careful always, knowing we're not immune. God is faithful. You know, just think, if you just know that verse, God is faithful that no matter what we are find ourselves in, he will provide a way of escape. He is the way of escape. He will provide that way of escape. But oh, in us, there are those things. You can call it the dark side. You can call it the lust of the flesh. You can call it whatever you want. But I think everybody in here knows what I'm talking about when we say there are those things that cause us to really, really be tempted to do some really stupid things, ungodly things, sinful things, even though it may start out looking pretty good. I'm going to give you a silly illustration about a fly and a lawnmower. Ever heard one any more silly than that? And then I'm going to add baloney to it. There was a fly. It was a nice sunny morning, and this fly was flying around, and all of a sudden he's, he sees coming down the sidewalk a bunch of children on their way to school, and he sees a lawnmower over in the yard. So the fly goes over, and he sits on the handle of the lawnmower. And he's just sitting there on the handle of the lawnmower, enjoying the bright sunny day and watching the children go to school. And one of the children trips and falls. And his lunch just goes flying all over the place. And he gets up and his friends help him. They're trying to pick up all the lunch, put it back in his little lunch box. And, and they get it all cleaned up pretty much except for one slice of bologna that they didn't want to touch. It was laying on the sidewalk. And they went on their way. And the fly is sitting on that lawnmower handle and he's looking at that bologna thinking, I haven't had breakfast yet. So he flies on over to that piece of bologna and he starts eating that bologna and he's just loving it. And he's eating more and more and more of that bologna. 
and he's getting more full and more full and more full. But his appetite was such, even when his, his stomach was full, he still wanted more. He couldn't get satisfied. And he continued to eat. And finally, he could hear some more children coming down the sidewalk. And he figured, I better get out of the way. So he gets his wings spread to fly back to the handlebar, of the, the handle of the lawnmower. Only he's so full and his belly's so fat, he can't fly. So he walks on over and through the grass. And he climbs up the wheel of the lawnmower. And then he climbs up the handle of the lawnmower. And there he sits. And those children pass. And all he can think about is that baloney because it's still laying over there. He wants more. He wants more. And he's looking at that baloney, and he knows he's full, and he knows he shouldn't eat anymore, but he wants more. His flesh isn't satisfied yet. He wants more. He decides, I'm going for it. I'm going to eat some more. He spreads his wings, and he gets ready to fly, and splat. Falls straight to the ground, and he's killed instantly. So what's that got to do with you and me, right? Well, you know what? In each one of us, there is that dark side or that restlessness or that lust of the flesh that always wants to be satisfied. We're so easily tempted by things like that. It may even start out as an okay thing. I like golf a lot, most of the time. But you know what? I still have to manage it. I still have to realize I can't go golfing every day all day long. I can't do that. There's other things I need to do. But I'd like to play a lot more golf. And there's lots of other things. You know, one we can maybe all relate to a little better. You ever have your favorite food for meal and you know you're so full you can't hardly move and you put more on your plate? Because you want it. I want it. The lusts of the flesh. You know, at that particular time, when we get to this place in our life, we look for those things to satisfy us. And if we count the cost, we ignore the cost. Because the lust of the flesh gets so strong. And we don't have a foundation that we're standing on. And we succumb to that temptation. And we give in. Humanity is kind of like that. Are you ready for the, the, the line here? This isn't my line, but so it's corny, but I liked it. Humanity is like that. We get so full of baloney that we won't or can't see God's way and we fly off the handle, thinking we can handle everything and we will finally be satisfied, but it doesn't work. We're like that stupid fly. We get so full of ourself or the baloney or, or the lust of the flesh just overwhelms us and we try to just Go for it because we think we'll be satisfied. And it can be so many things. You could just fill in the blank. If I just do this, if I just had more of this, if I just tried this, everything will be great. The answer is, no, it won't be great. It's all going to eventually fail unless we have a firm foundation and we can stand underneath the, under the pressure and resist. We cannot let those traps control us having our feet firmly planted. Third thing, getting the golf course, getting the sand trap. You hear this all the time. If you've golfed much, you hear this all the time. They get over there and sometimes they take forever and you wish to hit the ball already. And 
and they swing, and it doesn't go anywhere, and the first thing, ah, I should have kept my head down. Well, some of the swings are so bad it has nothing to do with their head, but there's a reality to that. When you're in golf, you need to stay focused. You need to stay focused on what you're doing. And in life, you need to stay focused. It's hard in golf. It's even harder in life. We lose our focus so easily. When we go into a new place like going off to college or getting a new job or getting in just a uniquely different environment, there's going to be all kinds of opportunities for us to make new choices and to lose focus. What are we focused on? Are we focused on the reason we're created? We are created to bring glory to God. And in that, he has a destiny for each one of us. And if we keep our focus on him and we keep pointed in the direction that he's leading us by his Holy Spirit, we obey what he's he's showing us and revealing us to us, we will walk into our destiny. We will find such a place of satisfaction. And it may not look like anything that the world thinks it's supposed to look like. The process is as important to God as the outcome. The world, people, the devil, they are constantly trying to steal your focus. Every one of us. Just because we become become Christians, we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit's living in us, doesn't mean the devil turns tail and runs. He will use anything and anybody he can to distract us, to cause us to lose focus. Focus. Focus on who God is, the Word of God, staying and maintaining the focus. The scripture I wanted to just share here is in Galatians. Chapter 1, verse 10, it says this. And I'm going to read it from a couple different translations, but the first one is in the NIV. It says, Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of God. Most of us, and I would say all of us, I believe, struggle with our own insecurities, our own fears of rejection, and therefore we want to gain approval of people. And if that approval, getting approval of people, if that motivation gets too strong in our lives, we will do a lot of wrong things. We will make a lot of bad choices, and we will find ourselves having to suffer a lot of consequences. Our, our calling is not to earn the approval of people. You know, we don't want to walk around trying to see how many people we can offend. But there's one person's approval that we want, and that's God's. We want to live a life that brings him glory and honor. He sacrificed his son who died on a cross for us, took the the wrath of God upon himself, took the sins of the world upon himself. For us, we can't earn that, but we want to live a life that brings him glory and honor. Who are we trying to please? We need to stay focused. We need to stand on the truth of the word of God. We need to speak the truth in love, keeping our focus on God and pleasing him. Sadly, the church, God's church, hasn't always done a very good job of doing that either. The church can easily elude focus. I believe when Paul is speaking here, he's not speaking just to people and individuals. He's talking to the church too. There's a lot of churches 
that what we do is we start to speak words that we think people want to hear. Tickling their ears with things that is not, are not biblical. As a matter of fact, oftentimes they're totally contrary to Scripture. And in our culture today, so many things that are totally contrary to Scripture are being allowed and endorsed and approved and promoted. And churches are compromising the foundation, the Word of God, and speaking to tickling ears. It's okay to do this. It's okay to live like that. And it's not. But if they speak that message, people might come and fill their chairs and maybe they'll give an offering. And whatever the reason is, the approval of man the approval of man and not of God. And as a church, boy, what's one of the things, this church, we want to be a church that brings glory and honor to God. We do not want to speak to tick, the tickling messages to the t- ears of people. We want to speak the word of God, the truth of God, and we want to speak it in love. We want to love people, but we cannot compromise the message. It will undermine everything. I want to read this from Galatians 1 again, only this time I'm going to read it from the Living Bible. Paul's saying, you can see that I'm not trying to please you by sweet talk and flattery. No, I'm trying to please God. If I were still trying to please men, I could not be Christ's servant. We can't please both man and God. It's like saying to say we can serve two masters. We can't. Our loyalty is going to be one or the other. So we need to stay firmly planted in God's word. We need to stand up under the temptations of of life that come our way and (coughs) keep our focus. And lastly, the follow-through. Now, when you hit the ball perfectly and you do everything right, I did that once about 18 years ago. You know, you get there and you do the little thing you get ready and you take that club back and you get up there when you hit it and the follow through is just perfect. And if you happen to ever do that, we like to stand like that. Just like, God, look at me, I hit it perfect. It's not just a pose. The follow through is important. Actually, the follow through can be critical because if you try to stop the swing anywhere along the way, it throws things off out of alignment, your timing gets off, all that stuff you don't really care about, but the ball doesn't go where you're aiming. The follow through is important. In the game of golf, the follow-through is important in hitting your target. Its follow-through is critical if your aim is going to be accurate. And it's an equally vital aspect of living our lives for God. The follow-through is critical in living our lives to the glory of God. In James chapter 1, there's going to be two different translations up there. I'm going to read the second one. Again, from the Living Bible, it says, Dear brothers, is your life full of difficulties and temptations? Then be happy. For when when the way is rough, your patience has a chance to grow. So let it grow. And don't try to squirm out of your problems. For when your patience is finally in full bloom, when you will be ready, then you will be ready for anything. You'll be strong in character, full and complete. following through. You know, we get so used to instant gratification in everything. We don't want to suffer for a moment. Matter of fact, we're not supposed to suffer for a moment. 
Life's supposed to be perfect. Somehow or other, where's my girls? Life's not perfect. You guys are close, but life's not. And things are going to go awry. And we need to understand that. And when they do, how do we respond? You know, I don't want to be misunderstood, but when difficulties come, when temptations come, it is so easy to do anything it takes to get out of it. We will lie. We will manipulate. We will use alcohol. We will use drugs. We will go down the road of all kinds of fornication and sexual satisfaction and gratification, thinking all those things are going to alleviate the pain, the suffering, trying to squirm out of this situation. Instead of maybe just asking the question, Lord, what do you want me to learn in the midst of this trial? Standing on the foundation, knowing that he will get you through this trial no matter what. If you trust him and you stand on the word, you don't give up. You stay focused. Man, when we're hurting, I don't know about you, you know, <clears throat> this will be the men. I'm, women, you'll understand. Us men get sick. Man, we whine and complain. No one, I always tell this, no one gets as sick as me as lives. That's how sick I get. And no one has as much pain as I have and survives it. I'll do anything to get out of that pain. Well, temptation can be so much like that. And if we just remember and remind ourselves, God is faithful. No temptation will come upon us that he will not provide a way of escape, and that way of escape is always him in one way or another. We need to make sure we follow through. We need to make that decision before we're ever tempted. little history. Back in the year 15... What the heck was it? 15, uh, let me find it here, 19, almost 500 years ago. There was an explorer, a Spanish explorer, and his name was Hernando Cortez. And he and 600 men, and I believe it was 11 boats, landed in the port of Veracruz down in Mexico. They were the third group of Spaniards to coming to try and conquer Mexico. The previous two groups had failed. They had failed so miserably, there wasn't even a little colony of Spaniards in the country of Mexico. But here comes Cortez with his 600 men and his 11 ships. They come, they go to shore, they take all their provisions ashore, and then Cortez gives this order, burn the boats. And they burned all the boats. And at that instant, the choice was simple. Conquer or die. Because there's no getting out. There's no shortcut. In two short years, they had defeated Montezuma, they had defeated the whole Aztec nation, and they had basically taken control of the country of Mexico with 600 men. Why did they succeed and the others didn't? There were no other options. They were going to follow through because the odds or the the outcome, uh, the two choices, it's easy. We're going to survive. We're going to fight. That's the kind of follow-through we need as Christians. We need to decide before we're in the midst of the storm, there's no storm going to sink my ship. Before the temptation comes, I'm not going there. You're going to go to a party? I'm not going to touch the liquor. I'm not going to touch the drugs. I'm not going to do it. I don't care how cute he or she is. I'm not leaving with them. Before we ever go, we need to make those decisions with no easy out, no easy escape. If Christians understood better the options, and we should, because it's not that complicated, 
In John 15, verse 5 through 8, it talks about the vine and the branches. And now there's a whole lot of different directions you could go with these scriptures and discussions of doctrine or theology. But I want to just read, it says, I am the vine. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away, withers. And such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Our follow through. When the going gets tough, we follow through. We want to be, you know, again, there's disagreements on theology here. I'll tell you that up front. But I do know this for a fact. There's a lot of people who make a profession of Christ, but there is no change brought about by grace in their life because that profession of, of faith is kind of like, give me a Band-Aid. I'm miserable. And we look at them, and their life looks good, and they're doing it all in their own strength. They're trying their hardest to live out a Christian life because they did make this profession verbally, but there was never a heart change. And there's no fruit. And when trials and tests and temptations come, the next thing you know, they're right back where they were or worse. I believe there was not a true profession of faith. I believe there was never a gift of grace. We are saved by grace through faith. And that grace will allow us to follow through and bear much fruit. That's our options. They're going to be, the the profession that's not real is going to be thrown in the fire. The real profession of faith. And an evidence, an evidence of a real profession of faith is you follow through. Because the grace is there to follow through. The grace of God, the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit to enable us to follow through. Simple lessons from a silly game of golf. We need a firm foundation. You need to dig in. Dig into the Word. So you can stand on the Word. It's the rock that will not change. It's Christ. He is the Word of God. It's the Word. Build your foundation on the Word. Get up. When trials and temptations come your way, you've got to resist it. You've got to fight against it. Don't allow temptation to win. Matter of fact, the Scripture says when we're tempted, it all takes place up here in this mind of ours. I dropped it. I didn't throw it. The Bible says, as Christians, with the Holy Spirit living in us, we do have the ability to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. When we are tempted, when something comes at us, take that thought captive and just ask this simple question. Does this glorify God and line up with his word? And if that thought does not glorify God and line up with his word, say, I'm not going there no matter what. Firm foundation. Stand up and resist temptation. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus instead of the ways of the world. It doesn't matter how old or young we are. It doesn't matter what we're doing. It is a constant temptation to get our eyes on the thing of the world instead of on him. And lastly, follow through. Follow through. We want to be Christians. We want to be a church that follows through. 
We want to stand firm. We want to love people. We want to share the truth of the gospel. We want to worship him with passion. And we want to follow through no matter what comes. And when I say that, knowing if we are that kind of Christian and if we are that kind of church, we are guaranteed that we are going to suffer and get persecuted. And then I think it said we're supposed to be happy. Yes. Yes. If we do those things, God is blessed and glorified and he will bless a people and he will bless a church that does those things. And that's the kind of church we want to be. Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you so much for these two young women that graduated from high school and are about to go on a new chapter in their lives. The process being worked out in them to reach their destiny that you have for them. But Lord, I know every single one of us in here have a destiny. And we are all in process. Some of us today find ourselves in a difficult place. Sometimes it's a result of of circumstances. Sometimes it's a result of the consequences of our own choices. But Lord, help us to embrace the process. Stand on your word. Resist the temptation. Keep our focus and follow through to the very end, knowing that you are faithful and your word is true. You will deliver us. You are with us and you love us no matter what and always. I pray that as we go our different ways today that we would go as your ambassadors, that we would speak life, that we would love people, and we would carry the truth, share it with every opportunity. Pray for protection over us. In Jesus' name, amen.